0: We are continuing through a nine-week sermon series entitled Rooted, Reformed, Relevant. We're unpacking First Presbyterian Church's tagline, Rooted, Reformed, Relevant. Three weeks we spent looking at that, that word, rooted, what it means to be rooted in Jesus Christ, what it means to be rooted in First Presbyterian Church and in the, in the history and gifts of this congregation, and, and last week what it means to be rooted in Georgetown and in, in the greater Georgetown area in central Texas. Now we move into three weeks focused on that word, that middle word, Reformed. We are a congregation that comes out of the Reformed theological tradition, uh, birthed uh, during the the 16th century Reformation. It's a strand of Protestantism, and there's a lot that could be talked about, but for three weeks we're going to focus on three of the main anchoring themes when it comes to being a Reformed people, being shaped by the Reformed tradition. Today... The focus of our theme, the focus theme is that of grace. We've heard one passage from Genesis that that does underscore that theme, I think, in ways we'll hear in the sermon. And then now we hear from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, a scripture that is in many ways uh, at the heart of Reformed theology. Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In a sermon earlier this year, I shared about the one marathon that I have ever run. In particular, I shared about a training run that I did. It was an 18-mile run, the longest I'd ever done up to that point. And most relevant for this morning, I shared about how somewhere around mile 15 or 16, I hit a wall. The wall, as the term implies, is not gradual. The wall is called the wall because one moment you feel like you're pacing yourself nicely. You're dealing with the inevitable aches and pains that accompany longer runs and then very suddenly the body is overwhelmed and there's a sensation not unlike slamming against a concrete wall the legs feel like they are now very much labored and stalled the arm motion has to be forced just to keep with it when you hit the wall the movements are now smaller and 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 every moment it feels like you're taking so much more energy just to pull it off than you did Moments before, and for the first time during the run, you genuinely think to yourself, how am I going to get through this? Have you hit a wall in recent days? Aisha Ahmad is a professor at the University of Toronto who published an article about a week or so ago entitled, How to Power Through the Sixth Month Crisis Wall by an expert in disaster zones. Dr. Ahmad has done prolonged tours of research in war zones, natural disaster areas, places hit painfully hard by cholera. And time and again, her research shows that there is a predictable curve in crises, regardless of the nature of the crises. When the crises first hit, people live off of the rush of adrenaline and have a new wave of energy and creativity to cover down all of the the issues. By months three and four, we can even develop a a real sense of confidence about dealing with the crisis, a little bit of a a runner's high, if you will, like, okay, we're in this, but we got this. But then, just when you thought you were on that runner's high, her research shows it's almost like clockwork that at or around the sixth month period, those navigating prolonged crises hit a wall. They're exhausted. Every movement, every decision just seems more labored and fatigued. Thoughts of getting out any way possible become more constant. Her article, it was all over the internet, and my guess is because she was naming something so readily relevant to so many. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation." We worship a God for whom rest is central. Rest is a foundational given. But notice, God does not rest because God hit a wall. The verb for rested is in Hebrew, sabbat, which literally means stopped. It's the word from which we get the word Sabbath. And very simply, it's a word that conveys the task was complete, and so God ceased. No hint of tiredness or exhaustion. Karl Barth, the 20th century Swiss Reformed theologian, he impacts one of the more profound implications on the fact that that God rested on the seventh day. First, Barth reminds us that on the sixth day, God created humans and tasked Humanity with being fruitful and multiplying and being stewards of God's creation and, and ordering and naming and actively caring for creation. The sixth day, we are tasked with work. And then on the seventh day, the very first chance humans get to dive into their to-do list, all that God has, has given them, what happens? Barth observes. God rested on the seventh day. That is the first divine action which man is privileged to witness. And that he himself may keep the Sabbath with God, completely free from work, is the first word spoken to him. That is the first obligation laid on him. The very first thing humanity is privileged to witness? Rest. The very first word spoken to us, rest. The very first obligation laid upon us, rest. Rest first, then work. Receive the gift of God's favor and provision and delight in Sabbath, then work. Or or put another way, grace first, then work. And this, I think, is where we can begin to see that that the Sabbath proves a lens through which we can better understand something that's foundational to our theology as Presbyterians. Foundational when when we talk about what it means to be part of the Reformed tradition. We heard how Paul put it so succinctly, uh, that which we hold central. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. This is the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. God's grace in Jesus Christ comes first. God's undeserved favor in Jesus Christ saves us apart from any work. We don't do a few good things with our lives and check in with God and see if that's got us on the, the good list or the moral list or at least the improving list. Or, and we don't fail and fall over time and again and, and, and have a God who just sort of sits back waiting or, or no longer wants to have anything to do with us We don't earn favor with God. We don't unearn favor with God. We rest in God's gracious favor first. And out of that grace, empowered by that grace, and thanks for that grace, we work. We offer our lives. And I think many a good Presbyterian would shout amen to that. Amazing grace is indeed what saves us. But often what we believe here and what we sing here, still my sense is that our regular bouts with exhaustion and busyness and and feeling overwhelmed and there's never quite enough time in the day or the week or the year, and this is before COVID and during COVID, all of those are, are signs to me that while we may yet believe a good game, and we may yet sing a good game, many of us still struggle to receive that gift that is central to Reformed theology, namely grace. Three years ago, Michelle, Leo, and I walked a portion of the Camino in Spain. A trip I know I've mentioned before. The, the Camino is this long trail that's cutting across part of France and all of Spain, and and many go there uh, year after year and walk part of it or all of it as as a pilgrimage, as a spiritual journey of sort. This massive long hiking trail. And at one particular rest stop on the Camino, we were we were just there three days. We talked with this guy about why he was on the Camino and turned out he'd he'd done it a handful of times, and he explained his reasoning this way. I do the Camino because it's a place where my body catches up to where my mind wants it to be. Then he goes, does that make sense? What he was getting at is that his mind wanted him to know know a a deep sense of true rest, peace, delight, and Acceptance, but somehow it was not fully known or received until the body caught up. Until he showed up and started walking quite literally in concert with where his mind wanted. Just to state the obvious, he could not know the gift of the Camino simply by mentally believing in it. He needed his body to walk it. Grace. God's unmerited, generous favor, that is central to what it means to be reformed. And most certainly, one cannot fully know the gift of grace simply by mentally believing in it. Grace is a gift from God in Christ Jesus that is received into our heart, mind, body, and soul. And for that gift to be fully known and received, grace, grace must be walked. And what a timely walk it would seem that one would, would be for us to have. And yet how many among us, even, even thinking about taking the first step toward receiving the gift of grace through some sort of embodied practice like the Sabbath, start to say to ourselves, well, but wait, I, I did not get nearly enough done last week. I did a few ridiculous things. I wasted countless minutes and hours on the internet and social media and worrying about this and trying to make a decision about that. I cannot start the week without first getting ahead of a few things, first finally getting my act together, actually doing a few more things I really should have done, fixing some things first. I might be able one day to receive some kind of Sabbath when things slow down. right now. I certainly don't deserve one. Look at the recent weeks and and I, I cannot give myself one. Exactly. No one deserves Sabbath, and we cannot give it to ourselves. It is given unto us. It is written into the fabric of how God designed the rhythm of time. Grace is baked into the front of every single week because grace is baked into the foundational DNA of what God and Jesus Christ is all about. How might we know in our bodies the good news of Jesus Christ? which showers upon us without regard to what we have done or have not done. The center of our tagline, it reads, Reformed, how might we drink deeply from a central tenet of that tradition? There's so much that could be unpacked about that, but for now, let's... Just observe two brief things that we can see from the Genesis passage when it comes to receiving the particular gift of the Sabbath and so proclaiming to ourselves and others the gift of God's grace. One negative thing, one positive thing. Negatively, we cease from all work. God rested. The word is, again, Sabbath, literally God stopped work. How we define work for each person I know is not necessarily a simple, readily observable thing. It must be discerned. For now, broadly, there is a, sensation, a cessation of work that is central to receiving the gift of Sabbath, whatever that may look like for each of us individually and collectively. Positively, that's negatively. Positively, we actively delight in God and God's creation. Notice again how Genesis 2, 2 reads, and on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done And he rested on the seventh day from all the work he had done. Wait, I thought God rested on the seventh day, but this also says God worked or finished the work. And it says God rested from all the work. So did God work? Did God work a little and rest a little? Did God rest? More to the point, what does that mean for us? Are we to work, work a little, work and rest, rest... What many Jewish commentators have argued over the millennia and what Christian scholars have picked up is that on the seventh day, God created manuha. That's the Hebrew word there for rest. And it's better translated as a joyous repose, tranquility, and delight. The idea is not so much a a, a taking a nap or a vegging out. It has an active sense wherein one delights or rejoices in God and God's creation it, it, it's really a lot the sabbath it, it's, it's much like walking the camino and how on one hand it's not working right you you don't see anyone journeying along the camino and they're and they're typing up emails and text messages and or fixing a car or doing chores they're not working and yet at the same time it is active there are bodies in motion there is noticing there's walking there's conversation there's laughter there's there's prayer there's meals Sabbath receiving is both negative, no work, and positive. Delight in God and God's creation and the gifts God has given. Another way to put it, Sabbath is paradoxically active rest, which interestingly, though not a Christian article at all, that is precisely what Dr. Ahmad in her six-month crises article commends to people in this moment, active rest. But with active rest, the idea is there is motion, there is delight, there's noticing, there's energy used, there's worship shared, there's songs that are sung, but there's, again, also a cessation of work, of chores. What, what might that look like for us? If a whole day is not practical right now, given some of the intense caregiving or parental or other demands, you know, maybe it's, it's something we, we build towards, I mean, what does it look like? What does it look like not just to believe in grace, but to take some space and time and let the body receive the gift of God's undeserved favor? Let the body catch up to the mind. To be sure there is real cost, to receiving the Sabbath, because real grace is always costly grace. All true grace is ultimately disruptive grace. I mean, if you take the Sabbath joyfully and seriously, well, that's going to shift calendars, schedules, priorities, and ultimately the heart of a people. Receiving the grace of Jesus, who loves us to the point of death, apart from what we have done or have not done, My goodness, how that disrupts all of our categories for who's in and and who's out and who deserves love and and who should be forgiven and who should not. Real grace is costly, disruptive grace to our normal ways of being. And yet, the man I mentioned earlier on that Camino, he was probably in his 60s or 70s, and and he said, had he known at his age at my age, what he now knows at his age, he would have done the Camino 50 times at this point in his lifetime rather than a handful. He went on to say in that same conversation, jokingly, but only halfway so You know, you work your whole life trying to make money and then you go and live like a pauper. He was speaking of living life on the Camino. And there was a sense of reflectiveness in his voice that seemed to be saying, if I, if, I know, if I knew then what I know now, other things would have been prioritized. Had I known about this gift of active rest along the Camino, all the other parts of my life might have been worked around this. There is a wisdom of those who are much further along in the pilgrimage and the wisdom says if I did it over, I would have aligned with the rhythm of creation much sooner. Rest first. Grace first. And and then let all the other realities work around that, flow from that. I, I trust myself less with needing to get ahead and control all the days and where things are going and and trust God more with those days and all of that and rest there centrally. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. May we receive such grace in Abundance. Amen.